Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Nothing brings me greater joy than when I see young people stepping into what God is, has uh, prepared for them. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that this morning. Uh, I just want to thank for a moment, you know, there's a lot of stuff. I was walking through the foyer this morning uh, here at church and I realized, man, we go to a good church. There's a lot of good stuff happening here. We got like women's craft nights happening and then we got the Enneagram workshop. Last night, the building was filled with teenagers just hanging out at church, having a good time, making friends. And uh, this morning, I met with our, our volunteers who were in the nurseries this morning, the classrooms, and then we've got baptisms coming up right around the corner and trunk or treat during the Halloween season for our children to come to a safe place where they can enjoy all the candy fun of Halloween without all the, the craziness out there. And so I just thought to myself, man, there's a lot of good things happening at Word of Life. And so I want to thank you all who are behind the scenes making those good things happen. We had several adults spending their Saturday night last night here uh, hanging out with teenagers. And so I just want to say thank you. You know who you are, all of you that uh, serve so faithfully here at Word of Life. Can we take a moment before we continue um, just to step into a place of prayer this morning? Lord, we've come before you, and Jesus, we've lifted your name up uh, through song and scripture in prayer. And this morning, uh, I say one last prayer uh, before we dive into the sermon. And that is, Lord, would the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart and all of our hearts this morning be pleasing to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the, pri- the priest of Midian, And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so he could not see, was laying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said... Here I am. One last scripture passage, Acts 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone round him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, Who are you, Lord? 
And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Three readings here this morning. First, Moses called out of a burning bush that was not consumed by God to go and lead the people of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. Samuel, in the temple of the Lord as a young man, called by God in the night audibly to go and confront the dysfunction and hypocrisy of the religious elite of that time. Saul, the very one who was persecuting the church while he was on his way to to arrest Christians, as he was breathing murderous threats against the church, God calls him to be an apostle. He authors a, a good portion of our New Testament. And the list goes on. We could look at Jonah called to go preach to the Ninevites. David called to be the king of Israel. Amos called to be a prophet to the people of Israel. And how could we leave out Mary, this young girl, called to be the very mother of God? And the list goes on and on and on. Twelve disciples called to carry on the work of Christ in the earth by founding the church. The Bible is full of peculiar and powerful episodes of God calling individuals to specific tasks and special vocations in life. It's true. But I also recognize that as we read our Bible, which I would encourage you to do as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, to read your Bible, it's a good thing to do. Sometimes in life, we just need to get back to basics, right? Praying and reading your Bible. The same thing that I've been told since I was a little kid. And, but as we do that, as, I, as we dive into Scripture, we see these spectacular moments of God calling people. And we often ask ourselves, I know I have wondered, and I've spoken with others who have these questions, if God did this through Scripture, does God still call people in this way today? And if so, am I called? Or did I miss my calling Am I worthy of a calling? Am I someone that could experience something like that so spectacular? And I want to say this morning that I do believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That I still believe today that God calls people in peculiar and powerful ways to specific tasks and special vocations. Yes and amen, I believe that. But as I say that, I want to remind us that oftentimes he does so when it's least expected in ways that are least expected to people that are least expected. But in saying all of that, at the same time, I know that the God who made each and every one of us also calls, not just a select few of us, but each and every one of us to a certain kind of life. Ephesians 1 verse 11 says this, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. This what we're living for is what I want us to explore this morning. As we continue our series entitled Made Fearfully and Wonderfully, I want to explore 
what we're made for this morning. Our sermon is entitled, I Am Called. But before we continue, I just want to... I want to lay the foundation and clarify some truths for us this morning. I want us to rewind the tape in our series all the way back to the beginning when Pastor Derek uh, preached a great sermon. I I loved this sermon. Uh, If you haven't heard it, if you missed it, jump online, the church app, go to the porch. We make all those sermons available for free. It's entitled, I Am Loved. Amen. And you are loved. There is nothing you can do to earn God's love for you. There is nothing that you can do that can take away God's love for you. You are loved. Can you turn to your neighbor? Can we just break the the ice this morning and uh, turn to your neighbor? Look them in the eye. This is going to be awkward, but hey, you know what? It's church. Sometimes things get awkward. And just look at them for a moment and say, you are loved. Yeah. Amen. Now smile. (laughs) Oh, man, see, those things are powerful, these small things. We forget to pause and and remind each other that that we are loved, and there is nothing that you can do to change that, right? You don't have to do anything to be loved by God. But I want to remind us, in the midst of that truth, let that be our umbrella this morning. We, we never forget that we are loved no matter what we do. But I am going to challenge us this morning and remind us that what we do does matter. Amen. Eugene Peterson writes an introduction in his translation of Scripture called The Message. He writes this introduction to the book of Ephesians. And I've got my first message Bible here. How many of you, have you ever read the message, looked at that translation? It's, it's beautiful. And what it does is it helps us hear the word of the Lord, read the word of the Lord in a new and fresh way. And this was the first copy that I got. I think I got this right in high school, maybe college. It had just come out. And it's held together with duct tape. Now, I think that has more to do with the quality of the binding than it does with my spirituality. I'll just be honest with you. Uh, during that time of life. But uh, here is my, my first, and I, the reason why I have this one is because I have the book of Ephesians all marked up. You know, you have some of those books in the Bible that you just, it hits you in a special way. I, I love the book of Ephesians, and I'll say this, I love it specifically in the message translation. I'm not sure why, but it seems that God uses the message translation from the book of Ephesians, to speak to my heart and my soul. And so I thought I would share from that place this morning. But in the introduction, this is what Eugene Peterson writes. What we know about God and what we do for God have a way of getting broken apart in our lives. The moment the organic unity of belief and behavior is damaged in any way, We are incapable of living out the full humanity for which we were created. Man, that's good. What we know about God, who we believe God is, the things that we hold to be true about God will dictate and influence and inform who we believe we are. The things that we believe about ourselves, amen? We discover who we are as we discover who God is. 
But as we believe these things about God, that God is love, that he is full of mercy, that he is gracious, that he is the creator of heaven and earth, and that he has created us and loves us and created us in his image, all of those beliefs should inform our behavior. Amen? We just don't want to stay up in our head. We want those things that we believe in our head to then transfer to our heart and out through our hands, right? So we hear information about God and then we come to believe these truths about God so that then we can live lives in action that line up our behavior with our beliefs. This is what the Apostle Paul sets out to do in the book of Ephesians. He hopes to address the fracture between what we believe and how we behave. In in this incredible letter, Paul reminds us that what God is up to in Christ. He starts the letter off by reminding us that, that Jesus is about the work of reconciliation. You know, the fracture between what we believe and what we behave. There's also a fracture between ourselves and God, right? Oftentimes, sin creates a fracture, a brokenness between humanity and our Creator. And Jesus comes to mend that, to heal that fracture, to bring us back into right relationship with God, that we might turn and behold the glory, the love of God again. And God is at work reconciling the world to himself. Remember that it is we who turn our back on God. He never turns his back on us. And so he's at work in Christ to reconcile the world to himself, to bring us back in a loving relationship with him. And in doing so, he is also at work as we As we become reconciled to God, we are then capable of being reconciled one to another. This is what Jesus is up to. He is bringing all things that have been broken apart back together again. This is the great work of Christ. This is what I would sum up the kingdom of God, making all things right in the world. This is, in essence, what we mean when we say that Jesus is saving the world. Paul continues with something glorious, though. That as Jesus is doing this work, he invites you and I to join in that work. Our doing matters. This is what he writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Paul writes, I ask, ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent. Amen. I paused there when I read that. I said, that's a prayer I'm going to write on my bathroom mirror. (laughs) Some of I could use that some days. Amen. Anyway, to make you intelligent and discerning and knowing him personally, your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is he is calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. You know, there is a life at which, in which God intends for you. There is a life that he set out for you. And it's a glorious way of life. I, I want to hold on to that word for a moment, glorious. The word glory, throughout scripture we see a pattern is related to light, Right? We, we think about Moses going back there. We spent a lot of time with Moses this month. And Moses at one point meets God on a mountain. And when he comes down from that mountain, his face 
shines with the glory of God. It, it's, it's shining. He literally wears a veil because his face is full of light. Scripture calls it the glory of God was shining from his face. The glory of God filled the temple of the Lord in Scripture as a form of light bursting forward. Even the Apostle Paul, as Saul on the way to Damascus, I believe encounters this glory of God that blinds him. It's like light shone round about him and he was, he was so blinded by this light. I love this glorious way of life that God intends for us is a life that's full of light and love. This is how Jesus is described in the Gospel of John as he breaks into the world. As he comes into the world, John doesn't start with just telling us the story of Christmas. John chooses to start by making some proclamations that the glory of God is entering the world in Jesus. And he describes it as the light has come and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the life that God intends for us. Not a life of darkness and despair, but a life of light and love. I believe that with all of my heart. Just as a parent with our children, we, we have, <laughs> there is nothing that my daughter Eden, she's two years old, almost three, there is nothing she can do to earn my love. I just want to revisit that for a moment. I love her no matter what. Nothing she can do to earn my love and nothing she will do can cause her to lose my love or be separated from my love. But I do have desires for her, intentions for her. I hope for good things in her life. And so I'm going to try to create an environment and a life for her where I raise her up in a way that my hope is as she leaves my house in the next 16 years, well, I'm going to say 18, 20 years. Can I have that many? Before she's off into the wild, um, on her own, my hope is that I can raise her up for a good life that I intend for her from my heart. It's the love that I have for her that desires good things for her. Oftentimes, (laughs) we forget that this is how God operates. He desires good things for us. Out of his love, he wants good things for our life. But this is the weird thing. This is the ironic thing about this. And, and I'll speak from my own experience. At, sometimes <laughs> we, we think about this in a way that can trouble us. We think things like this. What if I miss God's good things for me because I'm somehow outside of God's will for me? All right, here. Maybe I've lost you a little bit. I want to bring you back in for a moment. Have you ever heard of the butterfly effect? Have you seen the movie Butterfly Effect (laughs) Uh, with Ashton Kutcher? Um, This came out years ago. Um, The butterfly effect was a term that was coined by a meteorologist and a mathematician, Edward uh, Lawrence. And basically, it's a theory within weather that a butterfly flapping its wings weeks prior to a tornado can actually influence the path of that tornado. 
This is called the butterfly effect. Some people sum it up like this. If a butterfly in America flaps its wings in a certain way, it could cause a tsunami in Japan. Like, this is the butterfly effect. And, and I believe as a people, we've been become somewhat at times enamored and obsessed with this idea of the butterfly effect. I know I did growing up. I was terrified that if I didn't do the specific will of God in every decision, that this might cause ripple effects greater than I could ever comprehend in my life and the lives of those around me and then strangers beyond them that I'll never meet that would take away the good things that God intends for the world and therefore bring damage and destruction. And so I spent my young life I'm not going to blame those who taught me. I think the way that I interpreted these things was in fear that somehow I would miss the will of God. I wonder if you've ever been in that place. I've seen people, it it can drive them mad. In every decision of life, I've got to find the will of God, I've got to find the will of God, I've got to find the will of God. And at every turn, even in the daily things of life, the ordinary things, they become obsessed with finding the will of God as a specific choice, A or B. A is not the will of God, B is the will of God. I would ask you to raise your hands, but I think I can assume in this room there's many of us who have experienced that kind of anxiety and fear in life. And I just want to say to you this, that if God can take that which was intended for evil and turn it for good, if he's the God that can make all things work together for good, then I believe he is the God that's greater than that butterfly effect. And if you live your life in a direction that's intended for good, I believe that God can take your good intentions, even if they're misplaced at times, and turn it for good. Amen? Our God is greater than the, quote, butterfly effect. Dallas Willard, I love how he frames this for us. When it comes to this topic of, am I living in God's will for my life? Am I living, am I stepping into my calling? He frames it like this in the introduction to his book, Hearing God. I love this. Uh, it's, it's like this. I have my daughter Eden, and we have a backyard. Well, I had a backyard. I'm living with my in-laws currently, so it's a little messy. But we had a house with a backyard, and... Um, And in this backyard, she would have toys, right? She's got a bicycle, and she's got some balls, and um, there's rocks she can play with, a swing. We've got a slide, a playground now. And as my daughter's playing in the backyard, she is perfectly within my will for her life. She is being a two-year-old, playing her heart out. This is what I intend for her as a two-year-old. This is what I hope for her. This as a father is my will for her that she would play. Now, am I worried and obsessed about, oh, Eden, no, I want you to play with the bike and not the ball. It's a simple metaphor, but I think it's profound for us because I think it translates into our life oftentimes when it comes to this topic of the will of God or calling Oh, don't, don't play with the swing right now. I want you to play with the slide. I don't care what she plays with in the backyard. Just play your heart out. This is what I hope for you. This is what I intend for you. And do I care if she's even playing in the backyard or in her room with toys or sitting at the kitchen counter eating snacks? I, all of that is within the realm of my good intentions for her. Now, there is a culvert in the backyard, right? Come on now. 
There is a culvert that was there that was a drainage culvert that if she were to wander over there that she would fall to certain harm, like a broken arm. I mean, it was like a 10-foot drop. I mean, that could even be deadly for a two-year-old, right? And so if I see my child headed towards the culvert, I might go, hey, hey, Eden, hey, come back here, come back here. And and let me tell you, two-year-olds have their own free will. (laughs) I'm telling you now. It's like one of the strongest arguments for free will in theology. Man, they do what they want. And she may choose to ignore my voice. And if she does so, sometimes I've got to get a bit violent with her, right? And I've got to go running after her and maybe grab her sometimes. And there's been cases where she's hurt herself because she hasn't heeded the voice of her father. When he says, no, don't do that. Hey, don't touch the stove. And then she slaps her hands up there. And then, yeah, we deal with that for the next two hours. This is how I think we should view the will of God in our life. I think obsessing over what God has commanded us to do. In fact, this is how Dallas Willard says it. He says, an obsession with doing all God's commands may be the very thing that rules out being the kind of person he calls you to be. An obsession with doing creates in us a sense of anxiety and fear that we might do the wrong thing, right? And then that produces people who are not people of love and grace and faith, but people of fear and anxiety and worry. This is not the life he intends for us. He intends a glorious life of light and love, grace and mercy, where we are free to live fully in our humanity It's important, it's more important to discover who you are than to try to discover what you should be doing. And I'm going to speak to the young people. This is Family Sunday. I have young people on my heart, especially like college students, seniors in high school, obsessing about what am I going to do in life? What am I going to do in life? What am I going to do in life? And I just want to say to you, it's more important to ask yourself, who am I going to be in life? Come on, that's what matters most. Who am I going to be in life? This is who Jesus calls you to be. He says this of you, Matthew 5. You are the light of the world, a city set upon a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Wait a second. We just heard that Jesus was the light of the world. Yes, Jesus is the light that has come into the world. And now the Jesus who is the light calls you and you and you, all of us, and says to us, you now are the light of the world. Take the light that you've received. Take the love that you've received from Christ, knowing that you are the beloved. And now walk in that same light. Be that very light and love in the world around you. It's a simple yet profound concept. This is the basis for what we are called to be as Christians, as followers of Jesus. It is simply that, to follow Jesus. We are created in the image of God that we might be a kind of conduit for the light and love of God into the world around us, that we might represent his very character in nature and the way that we live our lives. Ephesians 5 says this, watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, 
Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. We are a people who are loved. Amen? That we might become a people of love. Can I say that again? We are a people who are loved that we might become a people of love. This is how God's kingdom continues to break into the world around us. It is through us. His work in us and through us. Yes, God moves in big ways, in spectacular ways, in peculiar and powerful ways. We see it all through scripture. But Jesus reminds us that the kingdom comes in very small ways. This light that's breaking into the world. This love that saves the world comes like little seeds that are planted. We just heard that in our scripture reading, right? Even if we just, just a little seed of faith, the little small things of our life have massive implications for the world around us. I was reminded of this a couple years ago. My last story for you this morning. I got caught up in the big things of life. Have you ever been caught up in the, the big questions? It's what I'm doing with my life. Does it matter? Am I fulfilling my calling? Am I in the will of God? And then we see the people around us, you know, like these the people that are our age and they're doing spectacular things. Have you ever been there, if you're honest, and you're like, oh man, I, I wonder, like, here I am. You know, they, they, Mark Zuckerberg's like my age, and he's, you know, founded Facebook in college, and I was playing intramural soccer. But I was also going to some prayer meetings, and I was in a prayer meeting uh, with some friends during the time um, that Ted Haggart, that whole thing happened, a big evangelical, big evangelical voice, president of the Evangelical Association, fell terribly morally. It was just a, a catastrophe. And I had forgot about this little prayer meeting until just a couple years ago. My friend brought it up and he said, he introduced me to some people and he said, hey, this is the guy from college. We were in a prayer meeting. And he said, guys, I, I, at the time we're all angsty college students and we want to do big things with our lives that matter. We want to be, you know, we're thinking about what we're called to do. And then this this big icon, of, you know, this, this mentor that we were looking up to falls. And I said, in tears, I said, I, I don't want to be some famous preacher, some big pastor. I just want to be a good husband and a loving father. And I forgot about those words until just a couple years ago. And it stuck with me in this stage of life. When I'm myself beginning to ask these big questions like, you know, what am I doing with my life? Have I followed God's call on my life? And I would just say this. Be a people who are the light of the world, specifically to those within your realm of influence. Maybe start with your family. Be who God has called you to be to your family. At work, be who God, who God has called you to be at work, in your doing. And I believe this will be true of you. That the more concerned we are with becoming the kind of person we are called to be, then all the things we do will begin to matter. 
because we will do them with great love. This is what St. Teresa of Calcutta says. You may know her as Mother Teresa. She says it better than me. Not all of us can do great things. That's okay. All of us can do small things with great love. So let me encourage you as you stand this morning. Simple message from Jesus for you this morning. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine. It doesn't have to be in spectacular ways. In fact, most of life is not spectacular. Most of life is the ordinary day-to-day living that we do. And those are the spaces where we have the opportunity to let the light and love of Christ shine bright. So smile more, hug more, speak words of life and love more, spend more time with the people you love, and worry less. Let that perfect love cast out all fear. Amen? Amen. As we prepare to come to the table of the Lord, would you join me in praying this appropriate prayer this morning, the prayer of St. Francis. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. And it is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, come, for it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. Amen.